Dubai I 103.8. 103.8. 103.8. 103.8. Well, welcome to Making Tracks, the final hour of the final show of the week right here on the agenda. And if Making Tracks, this segment is a series about pioneering and influential individuals who now call Dubai the UAE home, well, there can be few more inspiring leaders than our guest today. Widely recognised as a true legend, a game changer of the duty-free business worldwide. A business that he has been instrumental in for the last 50 years. In fact, since the early 1980s, his name has been synonymous with the enduring success of Dubai Duty Free, who themselves had record sales last year over $2 billion. Its reputation as a world leader in both business, sports and so much more is unprecedented. An award-winning businessman, a philanthropist, a keen golfer, a family man, the executive vice chairman and CEO of Dubai Duty Free, Colm McLaughlin, is making tracks. Colm, thanks so much indeed for being with us. Tom, good afternoon. I'm happy to be here. Listen, let's start first and foremost with just a few of the litany of achievements. And as I was going through the research of this, I mean, Dubai Duty Free as a business is one thing. It's a game changer in so many, but it's given rise to so many other elements, be it the tennis championships that we're in at the moment, your sponsorship of golf events in Dubai, back in Ireland, horse racing the world over, the Irish village, where would we be without the village, the concerts you've been being involved in Jamira Creekside and hospitality, the Dubai Duty Free Foundation, of, of everything that you've been able to achieve through the Dubai Duty Free brand, what would you say you are most proud of as we sit here today? When I hear all that thing, it's, I feel like that you're talking about somebody else. I'm very happy with the growth of Dubai Duty Free. It's now in its 37th year. And part of our brief right at the beginning from His Highness Sheikh Mohammed was that we were to help in promoting Dubai. And uh, we were told in no uncertain terms that it was to become the best and the biggest duty-free operation in the world. And um, whilst I don't want to say it's the best, because it's not up to me to say that, it has become the biggest. And I'm very, very happy about that. I'm really very, um, I don't want to use the word proud, but I'm really very happy with the success of Dubai Duty Free. I'm very happy with the events we have done and it was again part and parcel of our brief to promote Dubai and to help sponsor things in the in the Emirate. I'm very pleased with the success of that. I'm very pleased with the team that has been developed in Dubai Duty Free that make all of this stuff happen. Um, I'm generally very happy. Now listen, uh keen listeners to the show will notice that whilst you might call Dubai home and have done since the early 1980s, that is not a Dubai accent despite all those years. So let's take a step back if we can, Colm, and tell me, where did it all start? Born in Galway, Ireland, is that correct? That's correct. Galway is one of the counties on the west coast of Ireland. I was born in a small town in County Galway, 40 miles from the sea. It is called Ballinasloe, which explains the name on the Irish village in Garhood of the pretend post office. Um, but I was born in County Galway. Um, it was famous for its hurling team. It was famous for its golf courses. It was famous for many, many other things. And um, I'm not going to say what year I was born there, but it's a long, long time ago. And in terms of 
that childhood, looking back to it and looking back to how you as a youngster sort of kept yourself busy? Was it, was it an idyllic childhood, an outdoor childhood? Outdoor, many sporting activities. Um, I had two brothers and two sisters. The, um, all of us were involved in sport of some kind. I remember when we were just six or seven years of age, my dad, who at one stage in his life was was doing a little bit of boxing, he bought boxing gloves for us, and we boxed each other. I was the youngest of the three, so I was always beaten, but it was good fun. And we played hurling, and we played football. We played a thing called handball, which is an Irish game that you play in a, in a court. Mm. It's a handball court. Uh, we played tennis. We worked in the garden. We worked in the summer to um, help with things. I remember when I was 12 years of age, I was sowing lettuce in the garden and selling them to one of the local grocer shop for two pennies each. And it was part of our pocket money. We had a very happy and busy childhood. So always the entrepreneur, always the businessman at the end of the day, <laughs> always looking uh, to turn something into profit. Um, talking of the sort of values, the morals, the ethics that were drilled into you by your parents and the community growing up um, as well. Um, I read somewhere that your dad worked very, very hard, but also he was in, very keen to instill in you that the, the spirit of dance, the spirit of literature and things like that. Is that something that was a constant for you? Yes, it was constantly there. My dad and um, he was a, a public official. He worked for the Clare County Council. He was very busy. He was full of integrity. He was full of Irishness. Um, many activities in his life was promoting Irish things, like Irish dancing. And I know looking at how I walk now, you won't believe when I was 12, 13 years of age, we used to go to Irish dancing classes. Um, on St. Patrick's Day, 17th of March every year, we all participated in a local concert. Um, one of my sisters played the piano. My other sister played the harp. Uh, she was a singer, and later in her life she was um, an entertainer in, in tourist castles. Um, sadly, she's passed away. She was the youngest of the five of us. Um, my dad continued to work hard until he was you know, like 80 years of age. He passed away at 93 years of age. The, um, during his time, he wrote several history books of local parishes. He, he wrote a book um, about the town we were born in called Ballinasloe. Yeah. He wrote a song about that uh, town we were born in. Um, I didn't inherit any of the songwriting abilities, um, but he was active in promoting and developing the town all the time. And this was something he was trying to instill in all of us, that we should help the community if we can, that we should participate in local things. And I'm very happy we did. Well, I think there's nothing average about you. There's one word I just want to pick up on and what we've been talking about there, that, that value of Irishness that was instilled in you from a young age. Is that something that you've held on to throughout your life and instilled into your children as well? Yes, it's correct to say that. My dad was a native Irish speaker. He taught all of us how to speak Gaelic. And um, we, we can, if we wish, speak Gaelic. He, taught, he encouraged us to do voluntary things for Irishness. Um, and I won't say later on, that's why the Irish village is in Dubai, but um, a lot of things he was working voluntary and he would have us helping him as children. Mm. 
Um, the little town I come from in County Galway is called Ballinasloe, and one of the biggest horse fairs in Europe is the Ballinasloe Horse Fair. It has been going for 200 years, and um, we were always involved in in participating in the carnival events that were on there, in the Irish dancing, in sports games. We had a thing called the relays every year that we were all marched into by my dad and mom to run the 200 meters and to take part in cycling events. And I remember when I was 12 years of age, I fell off the bicycle and broke my wrist. But that was just part and parcel of growing up. Listen, we've asked you if it's okay to choose four songs, four sonic signposts, if you like, the sort of mark, uh, the conversations that we're having. A difficult one, I'm sure, but if we can ask you to let us know about your first one, what is the song that brings back those childhood memories for you, and why did you choose it? Well, the first song I remember, and I remember trying to learn and making efforts to sing it, was a song called Galway Bay. Um, it was written in 1947, and being Galway Bay is where I come from. There is a, a beach side there called Salt Hill, and it was our location for many summer holidays as a family. As I say, it was written in, um, in Leicester in 1947 by an Irishman called Arthur Coulahan, and it became very, very famous. It, it was sung in a, in a movie called The Quiet Man, in which John Wayne and Maureen O'Hara starred. It was sung by Bing Crosby. It was recorded by several other artists through its life. It was in the, as we call it, the, the charts for 72 weeks. It was the number three best-selling record in America during that time. And um, it has since been recorded by many other Irish artists, uh, the Tansy Brothers, Tommy Makem, and several others. And it's called Galway Bay. One for our very special guest on Making Tracks today, the Executive Vice Chairman, Chief Executive Officer of Dubai Duty Free. Colin McLaughlin is making tracks. This is his first track of the afternoon. Speak a language that the strangers do not know. For the strangers came and tried to teach us their ways. They blamed us just for being what we are. But they might as well go chasing after moonbeams Or light a penny candle from a star And if there's gonna be a life hereafter And somehow I feel sure there's gonna be I will ask my God to let me make my heaven In that dear land across the Irish Sea So we are in conversation with our special guest on Making Tracks today. We've raised the bar very, very high indeed, because when it comes to thought provokers, leaders, inspirers, they don't get much more inspiring than our special guest, Colm McLaughlin, the Executive Vice Chairman, Chief Executive Officer of Dubai Duty Free. Uh, last time we chatted, we left him uh, in the idyllic background uh, of his early childhood over in Ireland. How does... A man who is uh, proud of his roots, proud of his Irishness, uh, loving all things Galway, end up in a Woolworths in London. 
<laughs> I'm giving my age away, Tom, but I went to London in the summer of 1961. It was for the summer period only, just to earn some pocket money for the summer. Uh, the family plan was that I returned to Ireland in the October of that year and study dentistry. Okay. Um, during that summer, I did a variety of summer jobs. Um, you know, I sold ex- encyclopedia door to door. I worked on a canning factory. I worked in a walls meat factory. I worked on a hop farm. I picked hops. Um, I joined the civil service. I became a bus conductor. And um, I decided at the end of the few months that I wasn't going back to Ireland, that I still had a little bit to do in London. And um, I joined Woolworths as a trainee manager. Mm. And that sounded terrific when I kind of sent messages home to my pals that I was a trainee manager in one of the biggest departmental stores in the world. But what it in fact meant was that I was working in the stockroom. I was unpacking the trucks, loading the lorries, filling the counters up, sweeping the floors. But it was the start of a management training thing in Woolworths. And you went through a process where you got X's after your name as you did various things. Um, That was in the biggest Woolworths in the country at the time. It was in Oxford Street in London. And I went through the process. And you eventually got to a stage in Woolworths where you were described as a ready man. And I was ticked as a ready man. And I was appointed as the deputy general manager of the same Woolworths store that I had started in but I had been in about six other stores in between in the London area, and I returned to Oxford Street as the deputy general manager. And very shortly after that, I was assigned as the manager of a store in Pinner in Middlesex, which was a small grade four store. Mm. Um, I was on holiday in Ireland. I saw a job advertised in the duty-free industry at Shannon Airport in Ireland. I had no idea what it meant, <laughs> and um, I applied for the job. I did an interview, and I was offered a job in the duty-free business. Now, that must have been a bit of a leap of faith for a young man, because, as you say, you've, you've learned a lot through your management training. You're in London. It's booming at that sort of time as well. And duty-free, I mean, paint a picture, was, was a very new industry then, wasn't it? The duty-free industry at airports around the world started in Shannon Airport in Ireland in 1947. And uh, I'm now talking about 1969. um, And I was pretty young at the time. I remember the chief executive of Shannon Airport was interviewing me and he indicated that he felt I was a little bit young for such a position. And um, I was cheeky at the time. I explained to him that I was working in London and that many of the people that reported to me were almost as old as he was. <laughs> I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it that way, of course. Um, but uh, I was offered the job and I went there. Was it good to be back in Ireland? Was it good to be in that environment? Must have been a very exciting industry and environment to be in. I was pleased to go home, yeah. as I called it, you know. And um, the... Uh, it suited my whole lifestyle. I wanted to kind of um, get the green flag back into my body and see if I really loved it as much as I thought I did. I had a great experience during my eight years in London. I was very, very happy. 
I still bore people talking about my time in London. Um, but it was a good experience to go into the duty-free at such an early stage in the business. Mm. Um, and I remember being appointed there as what they called the deputy general manager in Shannon. And um, subsequent to that, I became the manager of the Freeport shop at Shannon Airport. So but you mentioned there about the sort of the early t- times of, of duty-free and the duty-free industry and the fact that Shannon was instrumental to that. It was where it all started. Were you conscious then when you were taking those early jobs that this was an industry that could grow to the size it has globally now? Was there, did you recognise that potential from an early age? Well, I guessed from what I had read and looked at and asked about that it was a growth industry. Mm. Uh, you know, aeroplanes were becoming bigger. Uh, there were traffic, air traffic was increasing all the time. And when the, when the industry started in 1947... The business in that full year was $10,000. Now, the guess that it would grow worked out pretty good because the duty-free business around the world last year was $75 billion U.S. dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very happy that Dubai duty-free is a big part of that or is a, a part of it, but that's not what you're asking me. I did have the feeling that it would grow, air traffic would grow, holidays was growing, tourism was growing. So it felt the right thing to do. And I chatted to Breda, my lovely wife, about it. And um, she said, yeah, this is going to be a growth business. Um, So I went to Shannon. I started on the 1st of June, 1969. We're going to leave it there. We are going to fast forward to uh, Dubai in the early 80s in just a few moments' time. Not, though, before I ask you for your second song of the afternoon. Uh, What about those formative years? How are you going to take us back there? There's a song called The Fields of Athen Rye. <laughs> um, it's not, not as old as the Galway Bay song, but it has become a little bit kind of the national anthem of the duty-free industry. It was written in 1979 by a man from the north of Ireland called Pete St. John. It's called The Fields of Athen Rye, and it's a story of when the famine was on in Ireland. And um, there was some corn in a store in a place called Athen Rye, and one man stole some of the corn to feed his children because it was during the time of the famine in Ireland, and he was caught and he was deported, as used to happen. Um, and the, uh, you know, it has become the anthem of various football teams. It is a very lively song that everybody can join in in. Uh, so my second song will be The Fields of Atherton Rye. Atherton Rye also being a, a small town in County Galway. You heard it there first. Everyone join in, whack the volume up, get involved, have a little sing-along. This track number two for our special guest on Making Tracks, Mr Commodore. It's so lonely round the fields of Atherton Rye By a lonely prison wall I heard a young man calling Nothing matters, Mary, when you're free Against the famine and the crown I rebel, they cut me down Now you must raise our child Dignity. 
Welcome back to Making Tracks, where we talk to pioneers, to industry leaders from a variety of industry who have called, have come to call the UAE and specifically Dubai home in recent times. And we have a very, very special guest on the occasion uh, of the 2020 Dubai Duty Free Tennis Championships. It is an absolute pleasure to welcome the Executive Vice Chairman and Chief Executive Officer of Dubai Duty Free, Mr. Colm McLaughlin, to Making Tracks, where we left him last time singing along to the fields of Athenry. And we move on now. Uh, and this is the next question, because I asked you next, last time about what drags a man from London back to Ireland. What drags a man from Shannon and a very successful business in duty free, a very Irishman in Ireland, to Dubai in the ni- early 1980s? I want you to take us back and that first conversation with a, a certain Moedin bin Hendy. That's correct, Tom. Yeah, the airport at Dubai, we're talking about improving their customer service and improving their retail operation at the airport. Mohiden Benhendi was the Director General of Civil Aviation at the airport at that time, and he had heard that the duty-free industry started at Shannon Airport in Ireland. He made contact, and eventually the discussion, he came to Shannon, we met him at Shannon Airport, and the discussion ended in a contract being done by the government in Dubai and the airport authority in Ireland to send a team of people here to Dubai for six months to set up the duty-free. It was a contract signed. I was one of the team of people, of 10 people that came here, and we opened the duty-free, and it opened on the 20th of December, 1983. Um, During that six-month period, I was asked if I would stay and operate the duty-free on behalf of the government. I don't own it. I just, just... I'm the manager, and um, it appealed to me that time. The very positive attitude of the place here appealed to me at that time. And, of course, at that time also, there was only about 200,000 people living in Dubai, so you didn't feel you'd get swamped. So I came for that six months. I was asked to stay, and I agreed to stay and did a contract for two years, which um, is 36 years ago. Now, I think... Things have changed a little uh, over the last 36 years. First impressions upon touching down at the tarmac at Dubai International Airport, did they live up to your expectations? Well, I was in for a bit of a surprise because I first landed here on the 15th of July, 1983. I had lost my luggage. I went into town to buy some shirts. I didn't realise that at that time the malls closed for two hours in the middle of the day. And I stood outside the El Guerrero shopping mall for two hours in the in heat I'd never experienced in my life, 
waiting to get in to buy a couple of shirts. Um, it appealed to me. The, the positiveness that I spoke about appealed to me very much. And I'm delighted that I was correct in that. I did not visualize at that time that I would be here 36 years later or 37 years later. But I'm very happy that I am. And I'm very happy that I've seen the, seen Dubai grow from a 200 population to in excess of 3 million people now. I'm very happy and, you know, I cannot, I cannot let you not ask me how the duty-free is done. <laughs> I'm, I'm just joking, Tom. I'm very happy that um, our duty-free has grown from a, a, a business in its first full year of 20 million U.S. dollar sales to last year with in excess of 2 billion U.S. dollars. Mm. And, of course, I'm very happy with all the things that's happened around Dubai. I never regret for one minute having moved here. You, you, you've called it home as well for that period of time. So, yes, you've been um, – the business has boomed. But you as a family unit, you as a man, have you taken a lot from life in Dubai over that time as well? Yes, I've enjoyed it very much. I, you know, I'm accompanied, of course, by my wife, Brida, yeah. um, who's my real boss, Brida. I hope you're listening to this. <laughs> um, our son lives here. He's lived here for 30 years. He's the vice president with – Damak, and he came here just for a very short period also. He's married here, and um, from afar we've seen our two daughters grow up, and from afar we've seen two grandchildren grow up, one of whom is now a teenager. Um, yes, I've enjoyed the family thing here. I have my home here. Um, when the, when real estate was being sold, I bought a property here in Dubai, and I live there, and I'm very happy with it. Dubai Duty Free has obviously been a, a global leader in the duty free industry, and Dubai Duty Free is rightly looked up to uh, as a standard bearer for everything that is good about duty free. But it's also been associated with so many events here, none more so than the one that we are coming from at the moment, the Dubai Duty Free Tennis Championship. Again, was that part of the policy to affiliate the duty free brand and name with big sporting events, big cultural events, big events? Part of the policy was, and on a directive from Isaina Sheikh Mohammed, was that part of our duty-free duty was to help promote Dubai. In-house, we identified sport as being a good thing to do, and um, one of our tennis tournaments was one of the first things we did. And mm-hmm. our current tennis tournament, which we're looking forward to, is now in year 28 for the men's and 20 for the ladies. And um, we. We found an experimentation that it was a good thing for Dubai because we were getting feedback of the media value for various things we did. And if you take, for example, the Dubai Duty V Tennis Championship, the figures we have got last year from the ATP and the WTA organizations was that the media value of the Dubai Duty V Tennis Championship worth to Dubai was 1.3 billion U.S. dollars. And that's fantastic. Mm. Um, and it's more than we expected at the beginning. But every, of the, every one of these events we do, we measure what the media value is and decide whether we repeat it or not. Uh, the Dubai Duty Free Irish Open Golf, which we've done in Ireland for the past five years, has been elevated to one of the Rolex series. It now has prize money of $7 million. And the value of that and the Dubai Duty Free Irish Derby which we've been doing for 12 years, the value of those two events together to Dubai is worth 108 million euro. So it's, it's successful, mm. and I'm happy we're doing it. 
I'm even more happy that all of these events that we sponsor and manage, we do them in-house. Mm. You know, our Dubai Duty Free Tennis Championship, our team in the marketing department in, in Dubai Duty Free manage that. And all the other events we do are managed in-house by our team. I keep on saying, and I honestly think, that we have the best team of people in the duty-free industry mm. in our Dubai Duty Free. We have 24 of our original pioneers still working for us. We have 199 staff who've done more than 25 years service with Dubai Duty Free. Mm. And that's because they're successful, they like it, they get on with their work, and that they are people from 45 different nationalities. We now have 6,100 staff working for us. <laughs> you mentioned a little earlier on, Tom, that, you know, the 30-plus years, uh, over three decades that you spent here in the region. You've mentioned that word positivity, you know, one of the reasons that brought you here in the first place, one of the reasons that's kept you here. Uh, do you think and do you, do you still maintain that that is one of the things that has seen success, not just in your business, but in the events that we've talked about and in the city that we are sitting and recording this interview at the moment. I think it's absolutely fantastic. You know, when we came here 36 years ago, um, a number of us played golf. We played at the country club on a sand course. We carried a little bit of AstroTurf around with us. If the ball was designated to be on fairway, we put it on the AstroTurf and hit it. Now we have 10 or 12 of the premier golf courses in the world. Mm. We've had the Dubai Desert Classic, now 31 years old, the Race to Dubai, the Trump Golf Course, the Dubai Hills Golf Course, two golf courses now in the Emirates Golf Course, the creek on the edge of the creek, which at that time was just sand beside a bit of water, is now a world-class venue. But that's happened all over Dubai. Mm. We have the best duty-free in the world. We have the biggest duty-free at single airport in the world. But we also have the biggest airport in the world in excess of 88 million passengers last year. We have the premier golf, we have the best shopping malls in the world. We have the biggest mall in the world. We have Palm Jumeirah, which is really the ninth wonder of the world. We have the tallest building in the world, Burj Khalifa. I think it's 860 meters high, 160 floors. You have to go all over the world to get what we have here in our own home place. I'm thrilled with Dubai. We're going to ask you now to try and sum up the era uh, with a song, if you can. And I'm intrigued to find out about song number three. Song number three I've liked for many, many years. It's called MacArthur Park. It was recorded by Richard Harris, the actor. And what got me to like this song was I was at a rugby match in Wales many, many years ago. Both of my brothers were playing rugby for Ireland at the time. I'd been to the, I went to the rugby match and I met Richard Harris, who was an ardent rugby fan. And I liked him so much that when this song came out, it was my favourite song and has been ever since. It's about a relationship in MacArthur Park in, in California. And um, it became a hit record and hit record in America and a hit record in many parts of the world. And Richard Harris is from Limerick, which is the county beside the Shannon Duty Frit. It is the latest track in the selection of Gormag Lockham. Uh, stay tuned for yet more from our special guest on Making Tracks coming up in a few moments' time. In the meantime, though, I'm just... is melting in the dark all the sweet green icing flowing down Someone left the cake out in the rain I don't think that I can take it 
Cause it took so long to bake it And I'll never have that recipe again Oh no I recall the yellow cotton dress Foaming like a wave On the ground around your knees The birds like tender babies in your hands And the old men playing checkers by the trees Macarthur's Park is melting in the dark Oh, the sweet green ice flowing down Someone left the cake out in the rain I don't think that I can take it Cause it took so long to bake it And I'll never have the recipe All of the kind comments coming through. Do keep them coming in on 4001. Uh, I can have no doubt whatsoever that the reason for all these lovely messages is, of course, for our very special guest uh, on Making Tracks. An honour to have the legend that is Colm McLaughlin with us here, telling us his story and the story of Dubai Duty Free. And what better time to do that than during the occasion of the Dubai Duty Free Tennis Championships 2020. Uh, Come, we are going to wrap things up very, very shortly. Um, You are a man who's won so many accolades. I've had the privilege to hand a few to you. You always thank your team every time it happens. But there is one man that picks up that award, be it the Frontier Lifetime Achievement Award, uh, the first non-UAE national to receive the Most Distinguished Employee Award from the Dubai Government Excellence Awards, Irish Presidential Distinguished Service Award for Business and Education category. Lifetime Achievement Awards are plenty. I'm just wondering, though, whether... uh, the fact that you are still the only former captain of two golf courses in Dubai, does that rank up there with all those awards? <laughs> I'm very happy about that, you know. Um, the funny thing about golf is that as the years move on, I think there's something wrong with technology because the ball goes less far than it <laughs> used to. I was very happy to be invited to be the captain of the Emirates Golf Club in 1995-96. Um, and as far as I'm aware, I'm the only person that has been captain of two golf clubs, Indeed. having been the captain of the creek in 2007. It ranks abo- among my personal things. <laughs> Dubai Duty Free has won 700 awards. Extraordinary. Um, many awards and many of the successes I get tribute for, but I, as you said earlier yourself, I always recognize that mm. it's the effort of our team of staff that have done it and it is the support I get from my chairman His Highness Sheikh Ahmed bin Saeed Al Maktoum who is such a busy man and does so many things and um, looks after all these businesses in such a, an efficient and pleasant way that 
Um, I always attribute a lot of the success naturally to him and to our team. I'm delighted that Divide Duty Free has done its sporting events through the years. Um, I had er said earlier about the return for Dubai. It's very important. And I'm delighted, of course, that since Dubai Duty Free was opened in 1983, that we have had sales in Dubai Duty Free in that period of 95 billion dirhams. Mm. I'm delighted about that. Mm. I'm delighted about all the awards we've done. I'm delighted that it was part of our brief to, to get into the promotion of Dubai because the events we do are absolutely fantastic. I'm delighted that because of our tennis, we built a tennis stadium. Yeah. I'm delighted because of our tennis stadium, we built an Irish village. And I'm very happy that we now have three Irish villages in Dubai. And at that time, you know, the Irish residents of Dubai, and um, I was chairman of the Irish Society in 1988, there were only 300 Irish people with visas in the Emirates. There's now 11,000. Mm. We had no ambassador at that time. We now have an embassy, and we're on, our, we're on our fourth Irish ambassador. So the relationship between Ireland and the United Arab Emirates, or Ireland and Dubai, is there's a, um, a, a UAE ambassador in Dublin now, which wouldn't have happened at all at that time. I'm very happy with all of those things. We are in the presence of Carl McLaughlin of Dubai Duty Free. We've talked about the extraordinary achievements down the years and where we stand uh, in the year 2020. Uh, all the events, uh, all the uh, elements that uh, Dubai Duty Free is associated with. Just want to get your thoughts, though, Carl, on something that is close, I know, to your heart and to a number of the uh, organisation's heart, the foundation. Why set up the foundation in the first place and just how proud are you of its achievements? Well, I'm very happy with the Dubai Duty Free Foundation and... We got approval from His Highness Sheikh Ahmed to do it. One of our managers, Ms. Sinead El-Sabai, came up with an idea that on our anniversary day we should donate a certain amount of money to charities in Dubai, which we did, and out of that has grown the Dubai Duty Free Foundation. We have supported many, many people around the world. We have supported 95 different charities. We are now a partner with Dubai Cares and doing various things. We have rebuilt a village that was destroyed in Sri Lanka. It's called the Dubai Duty Free Village. We have um, rebuilt a, a street in an island in the southern Philippines, which was destroyed also. It's called, n named the Dubai Duty Free Street. And we have supported for many, many years underprivileged children. We have more than 25 different children in special needs schools in various places. We have paid the salary of four teachers for many years in the Dubai autism thing. Um, our foundation is under the patronage of His Highness Sheikh Ahmed. And with his approval, we finance our foundation with the percentage of our top line that's transferred into the foundation account every year. We have a special needs manager in Dubai Duty Free operating our foundation. And we have done many, many things. We generally don't promote as a promo thing the foundation, but I'm very happy we've done it. And we have a board, and a, we have a board in the Duty Free, of which I'm the chairman, and the rest of the board is made up from some of our senior managers. And we have permission and a license from the government of Dubai to operate it. For a man, we kicked off this conversation talking about how proud you are of your Irishness. 
How do you how do you how do you factor in where home is for you and Breeder now? Is home always an island? Is home here in Dubai, or is it split down the middle? Our home is here in Dubai. We have our own residence here. Um, I'm very happy here. Um, I visit Ireland because we sponsor events there. Um, but now that my mum and dad are no longer there, it's maybe only one other visit a year I would make to Ireland. I see Dubai as very definitely my home. I play my golf here, although the the standard has gone down <laughs> considerably. I used to play squash here. That's finished now, needless <laughs> to say. But I enjoy all the new things that are happening in Dubai, and I enjoy very much going and seeing new things and being part and parcel of everything. Long may that continue. Colin McLaughlin, I can't thank you enough for giving us your precious time. Thank you indeed for, well, this, the Dubai Duty Free Tennis Championships, for uh, all that you've done through the brand, through the 50 years you've given to the industry as a whole. Um, and uh, we can't thank you enough for, for everything that you, Breeder, and the whole clan at Dubai Duty Free have done for the country. Well, thank you, Tom, very much. Thank uh, you indeed. Listen, we can't leave, though, without a little sing-song, a little knees-up, if that's all right. So come on. This one might need a bit of explanation. Uh, everyone that's listening might need to join in. What is the final song and why? The final song is something I'm a bore about with people. When Dubai Duty Free were 25 years of age, um, which was nine, which was 2008, we had a song written called Fly by Dubai. And, um, it, of course, naturally, it's my favorite song nowadays. It was recorded by a singer in Dubai called Andy Love. Um, it was written with the help of a number of us by a, a man called Russell Featherstone. And we have it on record. And it's called Fly by Dubai. And I even carry it around in my pocket. <laughs> Fly by Dubai, Tom. It's our, it's our anthem. Uh, we are going to do everyone a favour here. We're going to publish the lyrics online so you can sing along with the podcast a little later on as uh, Colm and I sing along into the early afternoon down here in Dubai. just remains for me to say, again, a huge thanks to you for everything you've done. Thank you so much indeed. Tom, thank you very much, and thank 103.8 for all the support we've got in Dubai Duty Free from ARN. It's very much appreciated. That's enough from us. Over to you to sing along to the final song of the Making Tracks. And again, if you'd like to listen back to this one in full, it will be available on the podcast via the website straight after the show. See you. Ten men took the challenge and brought the heart of Ireland to set up Dubai Duty
recognize our leaders and all our staff and families who help us go the extra mile. Now we all welcome you to join us and This is Dubai Eye 103.8.